our view and our sort of ecosystem that we're building, our organization's view, people should own their online identities too. People should be in control of their online identities, just like Lincoln Park was in control of their website back in the day, which was a novel thing back then. So that's really our focus. And there's definitely a thread in terms of the the things that I've, you know, tended to like to build as an entrepreneur. Welcome to Tech Intersect. I'm your host, Tanya Evans, and my life and work exist at the heart of law, business, and technology. Yeah, I've earned a few fancy titles and degrees over the years, but the bottom line is I'm a writer, speaker, teacher, and lifelong learner. And I'm really excited that you've joined me on this journey. So what is Tech Intersect? Well, it's authentic, empowering conversations with really interesting guests who demystify complex topics to prepare you for the future, because your future is now. And it exists where law, business, and tech intersect. Get ready to listen, learn, and leverage. Let's get started. In this episode of Tech Intersect, I am thrilled to welcome Naveen Jain to the show. Naveen is a serial entrepreneur who has bootstrapped multiple companies to eight figures in revenue. His first company, Spark Art, was responsible for groundbreaking digital marketing and e-commerce programs for iconic artists, including Linkin Park, Bon Jovi, the only artist who actually matters right now, the queen, Beyonce, Renaissance, hashtag Renaissance, but, but I digress, and many more. Naveen is also a Y Combinator alum and an angel investor in over 50 companies. I invited him on the show to talk about yet and to explain to you, my tech intersect nation, what the future of universal internet identity looks like. We will talk about all of that and more in a moment. But first, Naveen, welcome. Tanya, thank you so much for having me. I'm very honored to be here with you. Yes, I'm so excited about your project and even more so about your journey, because there's so much in your process and your progress and your contribution to building whatever this thing is that's going to be this next iteration of the web, particularly as it relates to identity and leveraging technology for that purpose that I think that what you have built, what you are working on, and our conversation is going to do a lot of good for a lot of people to really start to imagine what that world is going to look like. So before we dive into to the weeds a bit, share a bit more about your background and, and what led you to innovate in the Web3 space. Yeah, sure. So, you know, I, I started my career off, uh, I studied computer engineering at Purdue. I dropped out. I was only there for a year. And then I uh, started my first company, which uh, was called SparkArt, which you mentioned. And SparkArt was an interesting business because we started off essentially just building websites for people. You know, I got my first contract was a local company. I grew up in Nevada, California. I got a contract from a local company there. Uh, They paid us $10,000 to build a a website. And essentially, I used that money to, to start the business, to really grow the business. You know, then I sort of fell into the music business. I was always passionate about music, I think like many people are, but I'm, I'm not a musician. I, I can't really play any instruments. I just sort of got very lucky. I went to a rock concert in San Francisco and there was a person out front handing out cassette tapes. I'm now dating. Yes, myself. cassette tapes. I know. Yes. Tapes <laughs> for new bands, for new artists. And one of the tapes I happened to pick up was for Linkin Park. I thought they were absolutely incredible. You know, they had, a, it was like a sampler tape. There were a few tracks on the tape. 
And I just thought they were incredible and super talented. And I became a huge fan personally. Then I went home. I did a who is on the domain, lincolnpark.com. They actually had a real phone number registered at the time, (laughs) having like privacy on a domain. And I cold called the number. And uh, Chester's brother, Brian Bennington, picked up the phone and suggested that maybe, uh, you know, I cold pitched him. And he said, hey, why don't you like meet the band? They're going to be playing a show in, in San Francisco at some point. And so I uh, ended up getting an opportunity to go and meet them, which I was so lucky, so honored to have that that shot to be able yeah. to do that and ended up having the opportunity to work with them for, for nine years and just mm. help them with all their digital things, their, their website, their fan club, their online community, and worked very closely with their incredible team, you know, both at Warner Brothers Records and also the band themselves and, and the folks around the band. So it was a very lucky opportunity, very blessed uh, to have that opportunity and then be able to carry that forward with other artists and other opportunities uh, throughout my my career. Mm-hmm. It's such an important thing to do for creatives because that idea of switching the right brain and the left brain activity, you know, at a certain level, the talent needs to be the talent. They need to know enough about the business and the folks who are around them to make sure that the math continues to math. Because if the math ain't mathing, that's a bad day. Right. But you need enough people around you to actually ensure that the creative can really double down on their creativity and really be the creative and also the brand. I know that that means a lot to you as well. Yeah. And actually, there is a very common thread in terms of my general thinking as an entrepreneur between even the work I was doing on behalf of artists and the product that we're now building with Yat. Uh, And Mm. that thread is being able to control your situation. So in the case of Lincoln Park, there was an era in the music industry when the record companies started to want to control artist websites. In many cases, the label would be responsible for registering the domain, and then they would be running the websites. And there was a whole period of time where labels had these ideas about creating like networks of artist websites and all this sort of this, like these old ideas. Mm. But Lincoln Park was signed by Warner Brothers at a point where there was sort of this inflection point. And one of the one of the decisions the band made, which ended up serving them incredibly well which I strongly advocated for as well, was the band having full control over their web properties. So the band was in full control of LincolnPark.com, LP Underground, the Lincoln Park Forum, you know, all the properties that the band actually was like developing on their own. And that mm-hmm. ended up giving the band incredible opportunities down the road because they were in control of their own destiny. And fast forward to today, uh, the product that I'm building now is a product called Yat, and Yat is a self-sovereign identity product. So the basic idea is that if you think about how things work on the internet, generally speaking, people don't really own their identities, which is sort of a strange thing because we all own our names, you know, like no one can take away my name, right? There's nothing anyone can do to take away my name or your name or any of your incredible listeners' names. But on the web, if you think about it, if you have a Facebook account, you have a Google account, maybe you have a TikTok account, these accounts are not owned by people. They are owned by the companies that build the platform. And if they want to take away the account, they can't and they will. And this happens all the time to people for many, many different reasons. In fact, uh, there was a really humorous story. uh, I believe it was an NPR. Uh, This was uh, over a year ago. The punchline on the story was, if you want to get customer service from Facebook, if your account has been locked, 
The best way to get customer service from Facebook is to go out and buy an Oculus Quest. And the reason <laughs> is because uh, at the time, and I think that might have, this might have changed, at the time, there was a prerequisite for using an Oculus Quest. You had to have a, a working Facebook account. So wow. Facebook created an, a, an avenue for the customer service representatives who are handling the Oculus Quest to unlock people's Facebook accounts if they called. And so there's a whole article about a whole community of people would go out and buy an Oculus Quest just to unlock their Facebook account and then return it. And then return it <laughs> because they just didn't care. They just wanted their Facebook account back. In my right. view, in our view, in our sort of ecosystem that we're building, our organization's view, people should own their online identities too. People should be in control of their online identities, just like Lincoln Park was in control of their website back in the day, right. which was a novel thing back then. So that's really our focus. And there's a, definitely a thread in terms of the, the things that I've you know, tended to like to build as an entrepreneur. That's a really important point. I, did, I practiced um, entertainment law, mostly literary law, for 10 years before I became an academic. I mean, going in, my goodness, my 17th year as a tenured professor. But when I think about a lot of those entertainment deals. I did some like indie music, mostly on the side of helping independent labels to set up their contracts. But I remember, you know, it's like late nineties, really early two thousands when, and, and you'll be familiar with this too, language in contracts about competition and limiting the competition on the label side, or in my case on the imprints side and the competition that they would see with an artist's website. And I was early, a lot of my author clients, we were able to say, no, their website is separate. Yeah. You rock on with the books. And it was around time like ebooks were just a thing. But that language was really dangerous to so many artists. Yeah. So you identifying that and then bringing that in as a thread to what you're working on now is really powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I, I think it is really, really important. It's just one of those fundamental things that, you know, as a human being, we all have our identity and there are many dimensions to identity, right? Identity is not a singular thing. It's a multidimensional thing that is also variable from person to mm -hmm. person. Um, some people have, you know, what they choose to, how they choose to present themselves, what they choose to wear is a part of their identity. Uh, it could be someone's social groups could be a part of their identity. It could be an activity or a sport or a thing that they love to pursue, a passion that they have could be a defining characteristic in terms of their identity. Identity is not a singular or binary thing. It is a very mm -hmm. multidimensional thing. There is a vast spectrum of things that define one's identity. And, and we also think that's very important to create ways for people to express themselves in, in lots of mm -hmm. interesting ways in the ways that they that feel more most comfortable to them as a human. Right. And as you talk about uh, self-sovereign identity or SSI, which is really, really important. And for listeners, we've talked just a bit about this. Um, I was trying to remember the episode. I'll drop it in the show notes if I can find it. But this idea of the use of non-fungible tokens, for example, not just for creativity or for collectibles, but as a matter of SSI or self-sovereign identity. And you also said another term that's really important in this space as a matter of empowerment about deplatforming. And sometimes it's difficult for folks in the United States or other similarly situated nations to understand how incredibly threatening it can be, particularly if you are like a 
operating at a level of politics or there is something from a religious point of view, any ism, like you're operating in a space where it's not safe for you to be who you are and you're not involved in, in, in money laundering and nefarious activity, but as a matter of the identity and the sovereignty about uh, asserting yourself for political or religious um, goals that can be very, very empowering when you have this type of platform. Talk to us more about YAT specifically and why, as a matter of empowerment, it's an important opportunity. Yeah, totally. I would love to. So YATs are very interesting because they are self-sovereign. Today, YATs are centralized, but the goal is for YATs to ultimately be issued on TARI, which is a default private digital asset protocol that is currently in development. There's a test network out for Tari. So my co-founder is a wonderful fellow named Ricardo Spani, who is the former lead maintainer of Monero, which is also a mm. private monetary focus protocol, medium of exchange protocol um, that mm-hmm. is actually very significant, uh, very popular, and has actually been around, I believe, since 2015. in the future of wealth and digital assets, but think they're just way too complicated? Well, just a few short years ago, I felt the exact same way. Look, digital assets are tech and finance driven, but one, I'm not a computer scientist and two, I'm not a financial guru, but I am a lifelong learner, an educator and focused on generational wealth and not getting left behind in the new digital cash economy. I've carefully curated the best practices based on lessons learned so you can easily get started and do so safely, legally, and confidently. I created the first blockchain crypto and online certificate program and then created Advantage Evans as an online academy to empower folks like you and like me who want to learn how to onboard without getting scammed or stuck in YouTube University. In my free masterclass, I show you my six-step Secure Advantage Framework to get you started on your journey towards the future of wealth. Or if you're already on the road but need to reassess and rebalance, refocus and prepare for the next bull run, I'll share best practices, tools and strategies without all the carnival barking. I'll show you how to take control of your future and create a plan that puts you in the driver's seat. It's not about timing the market. It's time in the market, not to get rich quick, but to build a solid foundation that endures over time and generations. Don't let another moment or bull run pass you by. Join my free masterclass today and receive my Secure Advantage Toolkit. Quickly learn the smartest and most updated methods in the digital cash economy. I won't be offering this masterclass for long, so secure your spot today. You're ready to grow. So let's go. Prepare for your future today. Join me now by going to AdvantageEvans.com forward slash masterclass. That's AdvantageEvans.com forward slash masterclass. You love listening to podcasts, but have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Maybe you want to build a brand, grow your business or are looking for an excuse to talk about your favorite hobby. Whatever your reason for making a podcast, Buzzsprout is the place to start. Since 2009, Buzzsprout has helped over 300,000 people launch their own podcasts. Buzzsprout walks you step-by-step through the whole process and will give you powerful tools to start, 
grow, and monetize your podcast. Ready to get started? Click the link in the show notes to get our free step-by-step guide to starting your podcast today. And so our idea is that people should be able to have identities that they own that are issued on a default private decentralized system like Tari. And Mm -hmm. their identities should be human readable, but not only human readable, they should be universally understandable. And the way that we accomplish that is YATs are short strings of Unicode standard emoji. So Mm. think about that. I'm obsessed already. Uh, I'm obsessed. Emojis emojis are incredible. They're really just, uh, they're really (laughs) a phenomenal invention. You know, I don't know if you know this, but they were originally invented by SoftBank. So uh, SoftBank is a lot of things, but SoftBank is actually the inventor. So Masa and his incredible team, it was a product called the J phone was the very Mm. first phone to contain emoticons. And then in Japan, emojis were popularized. There was sort of a broader spectrum of emoticons issued by NTT Docomo on some of their devices. And then believe it or not, it was actually Apple that universally popularized emoji. Apple saw what was Mm. happening in the Japanese market. They launched a version of the iPhone that contained emojis. They saw how popular it was. And then they actually broadened the use of emojis and actually brought emojis uh, into into the Unicode Consortium, which is where they live now, Mm -hmm. the governing body globally for emojis. And emojis are incredible because 90% of online internet users use emojis every single day of their lives. So emojis are universally popular. Any device that someone has that complies with Unicode standards, which is basically every device, has access to emojis. And emojis have, in many cases, variable meaning, you know, to be clear. But there are many, many emojis that generally mean the same thing, regardless of where you are. For example, heart. You know, the, the heart emoji generally means love or, you know, some kind of a passion or affection for something. I don't care if someone lives in somewhere in Asia, they live somewhere in Africa, they live somewhere in South America, wherever they are, uh, whatever device they're using, art is a universal concept. So I think Mm -hmm. emojis as a character set for identity are very, very powerful and they're really beautiful. And you can express things in emojis Mm -hmm. in a much shorter number of characters than you ever could with traditional alphanumeric characters. So for example, right. if someone had a yat that was, for example, say like unicorn dancer or <laughs> uh, like fire dragon, or I don't know, pick some you know string of emojis that means something to you. First of all, mm-hmm. you can tell beautiful stories in just a handful of characters. You can communicate a dimension of your identity that matters to you. Instead of unicorn mm-hmm. dancer, you could also be robot dancer. You could be unicorn robot dancer. You know, it's like, okay, <laughs> well, gosh. You know, if you really love <laughs> and you view yourself as the best in the world at that, then owning Unicorn Robot Dancer mm-hmm. may be the yat for you. Is a yat unique to an individual, like a domain name? Yeah. So uh, each yat is unique. There can never be two of the same yats out there. So they're completely unique. People can have as many yats as they want. One thing about yats that's very special is each yat is born as a blank slate. So very important because when a yat is born, we think it's important that yats are not necessarily connected to other yats 
And YATs are also not default connected to other forms of metadata that are publicly available. Uh, and the reason mm. why is because we really want people to be able to establish a YAT, um, a, an identity in the way that they want to establish that identity. So you may, for example, have a YAT that you choose to associate with something like a Monero address and nothing else. And this is a YAT that you use for some form of advocacy or something that's very important to you. Maybe you're a part of a population that is underrepresented in a particular part of the world. And it's very important to you to have an identity that means something to you and perhaps to a group of people, but that is private and not connected to other YATs. And then you may have a YAT that is for your business or a YAT that is for some activity or a social group that you're connected to that is a more public yet. And that's perfectly fine. I think that people have a, a single Gmail address for life or a single Twitter handle for, for life is a silly idea because from our point of view, life is a journey. And as we go through different phases of our lives as humans, our identities change. We change. Human beings are not static. So we think that your identities on the internet should be able to shift and evolve and perhaps change completely as you discover new things about yourself and the world at large. Right. And you mentioned or one of the final things I wanted to go back to. You mentioned the connection to Monero, a privacy coin in the space. And I did a, an interview recently on Coindesk in kind of my reaction as an attorney to the tornado cash issue. So I'm wondering your thoughts about that because that's going to be a really, really, it's kind of like a shot across the bow when I think about identifying not just an actor who may be involved in nefarious activity, but actually the software itself, which is, I find to be really problematic. I imagine you do as well. So just wondering what your thoughts are about that and where we are with tornado cash and what that might mean for the, um, the industry. Yeah, I fundamentally believe that privacy is a basic human right. I think that people deserve the right and the opportunity to put their best foot forward in their lives. I think it's uh, very challenging and difficult to judge people just based upon entries in a database. There are many, many reasons why people may choose to sell something or buy something or trade something or do something. And just using entries in a database to make up stories about a given person is actually not productive to human society. I think that it is dangerous to paint everyone as a criminal in our society. I think people are largely generally good. And I think it is very important for governments and law enforcement to take a point of view that people are generally good and that it is actually not successful to surveil people on a mass surveillance basis in our country here in the United States. And you probably know this very well, Tanya, given, given your deep background, but we have something called the Patriot Act, which was passed soon after 9-11 and has been renewed by our Congress for successive terms, term over term over term over term. And uh, the ACLU uh, did, a, did a study on the Patriot Act. I believe it was the ACLU. And basically what they realized is that it's not resulted in like a meaningful number of additional convictions or, you know, identification of domestic terrorists or anything that the lawmakers who created the Patriot Act purported that the law would do in terms of increasing safety and security. So I think the challenge with Tornado Cash is when you have a system that is optionally private, 
it creates a particular story, a particular taint on the system. I think there is a very significant difference between a system that is default private and a system that is optionally private. So in the case of Tornado Cash, the way that it worked was that you would have a regular Ethereum and then you would essentially be able to use Tornado Cash to essentially mix the Ethereum and obfuscate the amount of Ethereum that was being transmitted and, and the sender and the receiver and these sorts of things. Um, and, mm-hmm. and by that way, create a, a layer of privacy on a network that is actually a surveillance network. Ethereum is a surveillance mm-hmm. network. So I think in the case of privacy and some of these technologies, I think it's very important that default private technologies are allowed to persist. And this mm-hmm. is actually very reminiscent uh, to me of the encryption wars. Absolutely. This is like history repeating itself. Right. Very, very important for people to fight for privacy, their right to privacy, fight for the right to convey their stories in the manner that they wish to convey them. Because I think that is a basic right that we all share as human beings on earth. One final point I'll make on this topic is if you think about human beings, Tanya, you and I have not spoken before, correct? Correct. So what's fascinating about this conversation is that you and I both came to this conversation as a closed book. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you can't read my mind and I can't read <laughs> Is that correct? I cannot. And if I could, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I could, you know, neither confirm nor deny. But <laughs> Exactly right. <laughs> exactly right. So I think this is very important. I think it's very important. The way human beings have evolved Human beings as a species are default private. Every single human is default private. Whenever you have a conversation with another human, you come to that conversation as a closed book, and then you get to share whatever stories you wish to share in the manner in which you wish to share them. And there are things that you will want to share and won't want to share, depending on the level of comfort, intimacy, et cetera, you have with the person. And that's perfectly okay. That is an accepted thing in every culture that exists on planet earth. Right. And so we believe from, at a, from Atari Labs point of view, that technology that is not default private is actually inhuman. And yet we've normalized this kind of technology on the internet. Mm-hmm. And we think that is a fundamental challenge that is worthy of solving. And that is why we do what we do at Tari Labs. Outstanding. Well, I'm a believer. Please tell my listeners how they can get there yet. And let's get our SSI together in this, this, this next iteration of the web. Where does someone start? Tell listeners how they can learn more about you, how to get there yet, plural, yep. because we are not a monolith, and where we go from here. Absolutely. So uh, yeah, thank you, Tanya, again for having me. Uh, you can go to y.at on any web browser uh, to take a look at YAT and learn more about YAT and perhaps create some YATs. YATs start at only $4, pay once, own forever. We don't think that YATs should be rented like domains. We think that people should actually own their identities. We think that's fundamentally important. And if you wish to learn more about Tari and the concepts that we have behind Tari around default privacy and default private digital assets, you can visit tari.com, T-A-R-I.com. And uh, you can also get in touch with us there. Uh, We have a link to our Telegram channel and and other things there. And we'd love to connect with anyone who is interested in in what we're building. I think that's outstanding. Thank you so much for joining me. The minute we are done, I'm going to 
I'm I'm going all in. I'm all in. I'm I'm a, I'm a yet believer. <laughs> I, I'm so excited. I'm about to walk out. I have many things to do today, but the first has just moved up to the top of the list. <laughs> is is locking down my yet. Naveen, thank you. It's been a pleasure. I, I really want to have you back. This is the first, but hopefully not the last of some really rich conversations. You're doing some tremendous work. And so I'm happy to be connected with you. Awesome, Tanya. Thank you so much again for having me and uh, looking forward to our next conversation. Thank you so much for listening to the Tech Intersect podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you love it, please tell the world. If not, Go ahead and tell me, and in either case, drop a comment or ping me on social media at IPProfEvans with the hashtag TechIntersect. And finally, a quick reminder on digital safety. There are a lot of scammers out there impersonating me and others, and I need your help. Now hear this, and remember, I will never slide into your DMs to say peace and blessings or hey and I will never reach out to solicit your time or your money on social media like ever. I'm not a trader. I am an educator and an attorney licensed in four states. Thank you very much. I'm here to inform, inspire, and empower. No cap and definitely no forex. So be careful, make good choices, and remember, I developed an entire free masterclass about the topic of digital safety in the crypto space. So check out secureyourcryptobag.com for more information. That's secureyourcryptobag.com. All right, that's all for this episode. Until next time, continue to shine.